Tonight we are talking about um, stuff we don't talk about in the church. How many was here last week and you remember the subject last week? You remember? Raise your hand if you remember what we talked about last week. And last week we talked about can you be forgiven if you continue to repeat the same sin over and over and over? Will God forgive me if I continue to commit the same sin over and over? Now that subject is a messy subject, obviously. And there's probably more I could have said on that subject. Uh, but hopefully we, we got a general idea of what was being conveyed last week. But tonight, I want to preach on why does bad things happen to good people? Why does bad things happen to good people? That is a question that's often asked. And sometimes we don't explore that in church. Uh, but tonight we're going to explore why does bad things happen to good people? Now I know that we can give a general answer tonight. I'm going to try my best to um, look at several things tonight, and hopefully you can get something out of it. Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have. We uh, thank you, Lord, that you are good and great. We pray, Lord, that as we open your word, that your word would go forth in power, your word would go forth in boldness, and everything that we hear and say, let it be transformative. I pray that we would be faithful, and not only faithful, but we would be fruitful and everyone shouted a great big amen. All right, why does bad things happen to good people? Well, if you go to Psalm 44, verse 23, Psalm 44 and verse number 23, listen to what David says here. It's, it's interesting. Psalm 44, Psalm 44 and verse 23 and 24. Psalm chapter 44, beginning with verse 23. Are you there? He says, awake. Why do you sleep, O Lord? Arise, do not, be, do not cast us off forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our affliction and oppression? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? As I look at the scripture, I'm reminded that David here is going through a time of his life where he's beginning to question, God, where are you at? Why are you forgetting my affliction? Why are you forgetting my oppression? The subject of why does bad things happen to good people have obviously been the question of the ages. It is not a question that we are just now exploring. Theologians and Christians have tried to answer this question since the beginning of Christianity and even before then we've tried to answer this. The problem of suffering, the problem of evil is certainly not a light subject and certainly it is messy. And lots of people have different interpretations of how you should interpret it and what you should say. And certainly I don't claim to be a theologian, I just claim to be a student of the Word. But one of the things that we wrestle with is our gut feeling. Our gut feeling tells us that life should be fair. Life should be fair. And when things happen to us that we find like we deem as injustice, we deem as unfair, we get frustrated, we have questions, we become... Um, we become, um, you know, aggravated sometimes because things are not turning out the way we think it should turn out. And so this is a question that has plagued the hearts of people forever. So it's nothing new to us. And people, after all these years, are still trying to answer this question of why bad things certainly happen to good people. Well, I think that Jesus tried, well, Jesus did answer it just in a simple form, and I'm going to explore it. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45, 
Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, this is the words of Jesus speaking to His disciples. Jesus was very clear in verse number 45 of Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says that you may know or that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. For He makes His Son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends the rain on the just and the unjust. Now obviously the, the context of the Scripture, Jesus is talking about verse 43, to love your enemies. Do good to those who despitefully use you and persecute you. In the context, Jesus is saying it's, you're going to have enemies. <laughs> Things are going to happen to you that don't make sense. It's going to rain on the just and the unjust. Life just happens. And sometimes there's a mystery behind it, but life just happens. When we ask the question of why bad things happen to good people, when we ask that question, there are certain assumptions that we are assuming. And so I have nine of them I'm just going to read to you very quickly. When we ask the question, why does bad things happen to good people? Why does bad things happen to good people? There are at least nine assumptions. We are assuming nine things when we say that statement, okay? Number one, when we make that assumption, when we, when we, excuse me, when we make the statement, why does bad things happen to good people, or we ask that question, then we are assuming several things. Number one, we know, we, number one, the first assumption is we know and we get to judge what is good and bad. So when we make that, when we ask the question, why does bad things happen to good people, then that question holds a series of assumptions. And the first assumption is we simply get to judge what is good and we get to judge what is bad. That's what we're assuming. Ladies and gentlemen, not everything you think is bad is certainly bad, and not everything you think is good is certainly good. You remember the old story of Eve in the book of Genesis? She saw that the tree or the fruit was good. And because she ate of the fruit of the tree and gave it to her husband, all of humanity now is, has been plunged into sin because Eve chose something that was good. But it wasn't good. It was actually bad. So when we, make the, when we ask the question, why does bad things happen to good people, then you are automatically assuming you know, what everyth you know everything that's good and you know everything that's bad. You are the ultimate judge of that. And we know from the story of Adam and Eve that she made a bad decision because she thought something was very, very good. In reality, it wasn't good. The tree was good. It looked good and it even tasted good. But what it did to humanity was not good. So when we ask the question, why does bad things happen to good people? Well, number one, we're making the assumption that we know and we get to judge what is good and bad. Number two, we make the assumption that what we determine, what we determine to be good is really is what's best for us. What we think is good is really what's best for us. So you rationalize what you think is good and then you deem that is the best for you. That's the assumption that we are making. What we determine, whatever we determine to be good, then that's what's best for us. So we have made the authority of what is good and we think that's what's best for us. When we ask the question, why does bad things happen to good people? Not only are we assuming that we get to judge what is good and bad, but we also are really saying 
that we can determine what is good and then that's what's best for us. Number three, the third assumption is, is we decide what is bad. What we decide is bad can't necessarily be good for us. So if we decide something that is bad, then it can't be good for us. So when we ask the question, why does bad things happen to good people? We are making the assumption that what we decide, what we say is bad, cannot be good for us. Y'all with me tonight? I know it's kind of like these, these assumptions, it's kind of like you've got to say it a few times to sink in, don't you? So just let it sink in. What we decide is bad can't be good for us. So that's the third assumption. Number four, when we ask the question, why does bad things happen to good people, we are assuming a series of things. One of the things that we assume is, number four, there's a reason and there is a purpose indicated by why for the good and the bad for the things that happen in our life. That also implies that we believe in existence of a higher power or that we believe in God. It's interesting, people who don't believe in God is bumfuzzled over why bad things happen to good people. Just by you asking the question implies that you believe in a higher power. Because you're saying that there is a purpose behind what has happened that's bad, and there's a purpose that's behind what has happened that's good. There's a purpose in the good and the bad. That's what you're saying. So that's another assumption. Number five, if we can't think of anything good, if we can't think of any good reasons for God allowing something bad to happen, then there aren't any good reasons for allowing it. If we can't think of any good reasons for God allowing something bad to happen, then there isn't any good reason for Him allowing it to happen. So in other words, we put ourselves in the authority to decide or make rational decisions that if this, if, if I can't think of any good reason why this bad thing has happened to me, then God should have never allowed it to happen. Number six, we are assuming that there are good people. How do you know who is good and who is not good? The Bible says that the prophet Jeremiah wrestled with the same question and the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and the word of the Lord is said that the heart is wicked above everything else. You see, that is why Jesus said, let the wheat and the tares grow together and in the end, He will separate the good from the bad. You see, it's not our responsibility to separate the good from the bad. Yes, people have good characteristics. People have good manners and good behavior. It seems as though they are good but only God knows the heart. Can I hear an amen? Ver, uh, number seven, we can and get to judge who is good and who is not good. So when we make the statement, why does bad things happen to good people? Well, we are assuming that we're in a place of authority to judge who is good and who is not good. Ladies and gentlemen, I have found in my pastorate people who I internally thought were not good turned out to be very good. And people who I thought was really good, in the end, they didn't turn out as what I had expected. I have found that let God take care of that. Amen? Let God separate that. God knows the heart. And so when we ask the question, why does bad things happen to good people? It implies that we are a judge to determine who is good and who is not good. 
Number eight, we are also implying that I am one of the good persons. <laughs> That's what we're saying. Why does bad things happen to good people? In essence, we're assuming I'm one of the good people. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. How dare anything bad happen to me? You know, isn't, can I, can I say this? Can Pastor Josh say something? It's interesting to me, Bishop, that we are the lawbreakers, but yet we want somebody else to pay for the crime. And we are bold enough to request that somebody pay for the crime when in essence, Scripture says we are all guilty. That is why it's dangerous for us to point a finger and not forgive someone when in essence we're all guilty and we've all been forgiven. Oh, somebody say amen. You see where pride comes into this? Won't forgive people, push, point your finger at people, accusing people. Do you know the Greek word, listen to Pastor Josh, the Greek word for the word devil, not only does it mean it's diablos, which means to throw, and how many would agree that the enemy does throw things at the battlefield of our mind or the playground of our mind? But also the word, the second word for diablos, and there's several, he's the accuser, that's what it also means, accuser. But another word is to scatter. And that's what the enemy does. He likes to scatter God's people. And that is why when we gather, gather, gather in the name of the Lord, in the spirit and the bond of peace, there is the presence of the Lord. But when the church is scattered, I promise you there's a demonic force at work. Can you hear, can I hear an amen? So, 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 so anytime there's a, a scattering, anytime there's a split, if it's not, uh, if it's not due because of uh, ethics or sin or immorality, then, then we got to question what power is working behind this? What is bringing the scatter? Well, what is causing people to scatter? Because certainly uh, that is not what God had intended. Uh, he intended for his people to be gathered together. So when we ask the question, why does bad things happen to good people? We're obviously saying, I'm the good person. And number nine, we are saying, I, I am the good person and I deserve what is good. I deserve what is good. Not my neighbor. I don't know about them, but I deserve what is good. Why does bad things happen to good people? I, we're making the assumption that I deserve all the time what is good. What is good. So these are the assumptions that we make when we ask the question, why does bad things happen to good people? It implies a series of assumptions. Number one, let's review them quick. Number one, we know and we get to judge what is good and bad. Number two, what we determine to be good is really what's best for us. What we determine to be good. Did you hear what Pastor Josh just said? What we determine is good. Whatever we determine is good, that's what we think is best for us. It goes back to, is Jesus your master? Does he get to determine what's best for you? Or do you determine what's best for you? I can't believe I'm going through this trial. Is Jesus your master? Does he direct your steps? Or are you determined what's best for you? 
And that is why people don't grow up in the Spirit. Because they live their life as a child. What does children do? They determine what's best for them. And that's what, am I right about it? We determine what is good. The next thing is, is what we decide is bad and can't be good for us. So if we decide something is bad, it obviously can't be good for us. Now folks, you all know, and I agree, anything that bad happens to us, we automatically think it's from the devil, or we think it's demonic forces. I, have, I don't know if I've ever met anybody that just stopped and said, could this be the work of God? Because we set ourselves as the authority to determine what is bad, and it can't be good for us. You see, the Scripture says all things work together for the good for those who love God and called according to purpose. It did not say everything's good. It said that eventually everything will work together for the good. That means the bad and the ugly and our disappointments, our frustrations, our confusion, our wise. The Scripture is clear. It does not say everything is good in life but it does promise us somehow, some way, everything is going to work out for the good. It does promise us that. And we got to hold on to that promise in the blackness of midnight. we got to hold on to the promise that everything is going to work out for the good. We assume, number four, there's a reason and purpose indicated by why for the good and the bad, the things that happen in our life. So we're assuming there's a purpose behind the good and the bad, or we wouldn't be asking the question. Why would we ask the question if we didn't assume there's a purpose behind the good and the bad? And if we think there's a purpose behind the good and the bad, we're also assuming that there should be a higher power that's directing the good and the bad. Number five, if we can't think of any good reasons for God allowing something bad to happen, then there aren't any good reasons for allowing it to happen. We're also assuming that we're good. Seven, we can and we get to judge what is good and what is not good. We're also assuming that I am one of the good people. <laughs> I'm a good person. We're also assuming that I deserve what is best. You see, ladies and gentlemen, we know, and all of you have been in church much longer, some of you, than I've been alive. You know that the world is corrupt. And because of what Adam and Eve did in the garden, sin had corrupted the world. Sin has not only corrupted the world, it has corrupted and infiltrated the human race. We do not have a porn problem or a gun problem or an alcoholism. We, 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 don't, we have a sin problem. That's, that, that's, that's the issue. That, that's a sin problem. And so why does good things why does bad things happen to good people? You know, if we ask that question, we also can ask other questions. Why does good things happen to bad people? Why does good things happen to bad people? Because that happens. Good things do happen to bad people. Well, why should I even expect any good at all? So what gives us the authority to expect any good at all? Where do we get that information that we, desire, that we should have any good? Now, I'm not trying to down your faith. That's not. I just want you to think tonight. That's all I'm trying to do. I want you to think. I'm not trying to down your faith or make you feel like, listen, boy, I, you know, we're just all in corruption and there's no hope. That's not what I'm saying. I just want you to think about it because I'm going to get to the meat of it in just a minute. We all have questions of why did God allow this child to die? I prayed for my mother and she died. Why 
did a, a good godly family have to watch their baby die of cancer? Why did my husband have to die in a car accident? Why is it after I prayed for someone to be healed, they, they died, but yet they love Jesus? These are questions that plague our mind. I don't think that we have a problem understanding that there is sin in the world. I think as Christians we know that. And I think that we understand that there is corruption not only in humanity, but also it has affected the world. But I think where it gets us is it's that. It's that question. That's what gets us. That question. But pastor, I understand there's sin in the world, but I don't understand how that mother and father loved God so much and their baby died. We understand there's sin in the world. We understand there's corruption. We even understand we must be saved. But what really, really boggles our mind is, is, is those particular questions that we bring up. How, how can that little girl who went to church be molested? How, how does that happen? I understand there's sin in the world, but what really frustrates us and what really causes us to scratch our head is, is those it's that question and that little question. And, and it seems like we can never ever reconcile a good God and yet innocent little girls and little boys being mistreated. How, how, does, that, how does that work? And no matter how big your Bible is tonight and how spiritual you are, we have those questions. It, it plagues our mind. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the world is broken. The world is broken and sin is like a virus. It has corrupted everyone and everything. All of us and all of nature. Nothing is as it should be. And nothing is as it was made to be. And nothing is as it will be. That's, that's, that's what we have to understand, that sin has corrupted everyone and everything. It's corrupted everything. It's corrupted everyone, everything, it's all of us and all of nature. Nothing is as it should be. Nothing is as it was made to be. And nothing is as it will be. No matter how hard we try, Nothing is as it should be. It's the law of thermodynamics. The second law of the law of thermodynamics states that everything is going downhill. Everything. Nature, our health. How many knows we're getting older? Everything is going. That's why people get things pulled up and <laughs> tucked up. Because the law of thermodynamics has been real good to you, baby. <laughs> it's just, it just everything is going downhill. So we say that would answer why there's wars and plane crashes and tornadoes, hurricanes, tsunamis, murders, rape, cancer, child abuse, you name it, the world is broken. And sin is like a virus that has corrupted everyone and everything and all of us. And all of nature has been affected by it. Nothing is as it should be. Nothing is as it was made to be. Because it was made perfect. 
And nothing is as it will be. You know why there's a desire in you to be perfect? And yet you can never attain it? Because you were made to be perfect. And sin has corrupted it. But there's always that desire. I want to be perfect. I want to, I want to make straight A's. I want to look right. I want to do... We always want to strive to be perfect in everything. Some of us is more OCD than others, but you get the point. Because we were made to be perfect. But because of sin, we have been corrupted. The image of God has been marred. You see, and to help us understand this, we're going to explore four things. Number one, we're going to explore what the answer isn't. What the answer isn't. Okay? Why does bad things happen to good people? Well, number one, what the answer isn't. The answer isn't God is too weak to stop it. That's not the answer. The answer isn't that God is too weak that He can't stop what's going on in the world. The answer isn't that God doesn't care. Because we know that in the Bible, there is multiple stories of God's compassion and love demonstrated to humanity. So it isn't that God is too weak or, 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 uh, or that He doesn't care. Scripture is clear, and Scripture is the written revelation that we have. This is what we have about God. And what we have about God reveals to us that certainly God is not too weak to stop it, because we know that in Scripture God has intervened in places in, in history. He's performed miracles, and sometimes I feel as though we deem things as miracles that's probably really not miracles. I hate to say that. I believe in miracles. I believe in the power of God. I believe in the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit. But sometimes we throw words around that I'm not sure if we understand. Because a miracle really reverses the laws of nature. That's what a miracle does. It reverses the laws of nature. When, <laughs> when Jesus walked on the water, He reversed the law of nature. Nature and gravity says He should have sunk right in the water. But a miracle was He reversed and walked on top of it. Lazarus died, but he reversed. He reversed nature. He died, he reversed it, and brought him back to life. Y'all with me tonight? Is, is this all right? Now, I believe God can do those things, and I pray he does those things. But, and I want God to do those things. But, why does bad things happen to good people? Well, it isn't because God's too weak to stop it, and it isn't because God doesn't care. God is all-powerful. He can if He wants to. Number two, let's explore the question of what the answer might be. What the answer might be. Why does bad things happen to good people? Well, might. The answer could be. It could be because suffering awakens us to God. Now, we don't like to hear that, but I think it's true and think Scripture points that out, that suffering has a way of waking us up to God Himself. And number two, suffering can protect us and can prepare us. You take your little child to the doctor and they're going to stick a needle for their, in their arm for their yearly shots. That child is suffering, but they do not comprehend that the suffering is actually going to protect them and prepare them for the future. 
And sometimes we, we have this image of suffering as though it cannot be God's will and God would never cause us to ever suffer. But suffering awakes, awakens us to God because suffering can protect us and prepare us to God. C.S. Lewis said it like this. I love it. C.S. Lewis said that God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience. But shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to arouse a deaf world. Sometimes it is in our pain that he is shouting to us. And yet we deem, we set ourselves as the authority that if it hurts, it's not God's will. If it, if it inconvenience me or if I'm uncomfortable, it cannot be God's will. But I believe it's possible that God could shout in our pain. You see, suffering reminds us that we don't have all the strength that we need. Suffering tells us, Pastor Larry, that we don't have the ability and we don't have the confidence to rule our own life. And suffering teaches us that we can't save ourselves. That's what suffering does. It brings us to a place where we know that we cannot save ourselves and we don't have the confidence and we don't have the ability to do anything about it. Martin Luther, the great reformer of the Protestant Reformation, he says that people become nothing through suffering. People become nothing, nothing through suffering he then goes on to say, it is God's nature to make something out of nothing. Hence, the one who is not yet nothing, out of him God cannot make anything. Sometimes suffering teaches us that you don't have what it takes. Your money can't save you. Your intellectual reasoning and your degrees on the wall cannot save you in the end. Suffering has a way of bringing us down a notch so that we know that God is the master. God is the controller. God is the sovereign Lord. Now, is that the answer? I didn't say that was the answer. I said it could be the answer. The answer might be that suffering Suffering awakens us to God. That suffering can protect us and prepare us. I'm not saying that this is the answer. I'm saying it could be. I think it's something that we should ponder. I think it's something that we should think about. I think it's something that we should meditate upon. I'm not sure if it's the right answer. But I think that you should think about it. How many would raise your hand and say, I think it's worthy to think about it? I think it's worthy. You see, faith grows out of the soil of adversity. Faith grows out of the soil of adversity. You see, number one, what the answer isn't. Why does bad things happen to good people? Or what the answer isn't. God isn't too weak to stop it. And it isn't because God doesn't care because we know He does care. So what the answer isn't. Number two, what the answer might be. The answer might be because suffering awakens us to God or because suffering can protect us and prepare us. 
Thirdly, what the final answer will be. What the final answer will be. What do you mean, Pastor Joshua? The Scripture is clear in Psalm 97 and verse number 2. Psalm 97 and verse number 2. He says, clouds and darkness surround Him. Speaking of the Lord and righteousness and justice are the foundation of His throne. David was clear that, that, a, that God's throne is justice. You see, when we ask the question, why does bad things happen to good people? Do you know what we're really saying? When will justice happen? When will God settle the accounts? When will good people get what they deserve and bad people get what they deserve? That's what we're really saying. There's something in us that cries out for justice. The person that did us wrong, I hope they pay to the very end. The person who talked about me, I hope they get what's coming to him. Folks, let me just make sure you know that you are a lawbreaker. And in essence, you're the guilty party and you're the one that's crying out for somebody else to pay for the crime and you're making a bold request that somebody else takes it. You say, well, pastor, I'm forgiven. The cross of Christ has... Yes, it's true. But you can never forget where you came from. Nobody is going to get away with everything. Everybody. The, the settle, he will settle all accounts. What do I mean by that? What is the final answer? Number one, the final answer is judgment day is coming. We do know that. And what do I mean by judgment day? In judgment day, he will settle all the accounts and there will be justice to all people. I know we get impatient and we want justice to occur and we want God to take care of things right now, but I promise you, God hasn't forgotten and He will take care of it and He will settle the accounts and justice will be taken care of. Judgment Day is coming and at Judgment Day, He will make sure all accounts are settled. We also, what is the answer? What's the final answer? Well, Judgment Day is coming. He's going to make sure the wicked is dealt with. And he's going to make sure that the good is dealt with. He's going to make sure that those who are guilty and those who are bad, those who are the tares, they'll be judged. And he will make sure, according to the parable, he'll enter those who are the righteous ones into his heavenly kingdom. And Jesus said, we'll sit down with him at that banquet table. Can I hear an amen? So not only is judgment day coming, but blessings are coming. Hallelujah. I love that. Blessings are coming. How do I know? Because if you read the end of the Bible, read the end of the Bible, you'll soon discover that John looks up and he saw, he saw a great city coming out of heaven, adorned. And he said, John said, I looked up and he said, I saw a river flowing in the city. He said, I saw a street of gold. Not streets of gold. I think the scripture said a street of gold. Is that right? A street of gold. Isn't it amazing when you start reading the Bible, you're like, well, all my life I heard streets of gold. Well, the Bible said a street of gold. <laughs> I don't care if it's one street of gold or if it's paved. I'm just glad to be there. Can I hear an amen? So John said, I looked up and he said, when I looked up, 
He said, I saw a holy city, Revelation 21, verse 1. Revelation chapter 21, John has this vision that everything is going to be taken care of and we will be blessed. He says, and then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth was passed away and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people, and God will be with them and, and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Woo! I don't know about you, but ladies and gentlemen, if you feel like you're not being rewarded for being good, that's a great reward. He said, because that day, he says, the former things have passed away. Former things. The former things that passed away, all my hurt, all the injustice, all my questions of why somebody had to suffer, why I had to suffer, and why all these all of that is passed away, and he wipes the tears from our eyes. And he said that I am going to be your God. Verse number 6, Revelation 21, verse 6, and he says this statement. He says, it's done. It's finished. Ladies and gentlemen, what the final answer will be, the final answer will be there's a judgment day coming. He will settle all of the counts. He will take care of the wicked. He will take care of the righteous. But also, the final answer will be that if you are righteous, you're going to get blessed. <laughs> Well, somebody should just get happy right there. You're going to get blessed. You're going to get blessed for it. Not only will you be blessed, you'll be blessed with Him. Lastly, Revelation, excuse me, Romans chapter 8, verse 18. He says, Romans 8, verse 18. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Hallelujah! He said, it's all this suffering I'm going through. Paul had to suffer. He said, all this suffering I'm going through in this present time, right now. He said, it doesn't even compare to the glory that's going to happen. <laughs> Hallelujah! I, I, you know what's going to happen when we get there, when we get there, Bishop, and we make a transition from this life to that life, and we open our eyes, we close our eyes here and open our eyes there, we're going to say it's worth it. It was worth every battle. It was worth every pain. It was worth every heartache. It was worth every misfortune and adverse condition. It was worth all the nights I had to stay up praying. It was worth all the nights I had to take roll aids. Come on, somebody. It was worth it after all. And you've got to remind yourself, Jesus looked to the, the, to the glory. How did He endure the cross? He endured the cross. He endured the suffering because He looked to the glory that was set before Him. 
How do you endure the suffering? We, it's a mystery. We don't have all the answers, but we got to, I do know there's judgment day and I know that we're going to be blessed and God's going to take care of the righteous. And we got to keep our eyes upon the thing that shall come. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. So, so lastly, who the answer is? You all know it's Jesus. Jesus, who took the worst pain and evil that could ever be imagined, and God put sin upon His Son. And it was so bad that God turned His head. Because it was at the cross that His love and His justice met. What does this answer about suffering? He took the penalty. He took our payment. He took our punishment. But that does not mean that we will not experience the effects of sin. Oh, we're delivered from the penalty to come. We're delivered from the punishment to come. We're delivered from it. We are now children of God. We have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We were aliens. We were, uh, uh, we were outside of the commonwealth of Israel, but now we have been brought into the family of God. Did you hear me, ladies and gentlemen? We're with Him now. He took away our punishment. He took away our penalty. We don't have to stand at the judgment court any longer. We're not going to be judged for our sin in eternity because He judged it and He took His penalty and He saved us and redeemed us. But as we live here, as we live here, listen to Pastor Josh, sin has corrupted everything including nature and everything around us, including our bodies. And we've got to deal with the effects of sin, but we've been delivered from the penalty and the payment of sin. Can I hear an amen? And so that is why as Christians... You've got to grow and be sanctified. So the question is, is can I be sanctified in my suffering? Yes. You can. You can use your suffering and your trials and tribulation and allow it, allow God to use it to take you to where you need to be. Is there occasions in the Bible where there is a demonic attack against you? Yes. But you'll notice that that is only a few times in Scripture. He does have a kingdom. Principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this world. We do. We are engaged in a spiritual warfare. That is true. And the enemy does fight. There, there is a battle going on. But at the same... We fight against the world, the system of thinking, the flesh, and the devil. We're engaged in a warfare. And we can't escape what sin has done to our nature and to humanity. You see, Paul said that the very, very nature is, is groaning. Groaning for that great day. You see, that's, that's what salvation is, folks. I was saved. I am being 
saved and I shall be saved. See what I'm saying? It's, it, it's, it's salvation is not just a I come to the altar and confess some sin and let a preacher put oil on my head and speak in a few tongues. That's a part of it. At salvation you are delivered from the penalty of the wrath to come. You are saved from future condemnation. You are delivered from the penalty of sin. But you've got to deal with the effects of sin, so you've got to grow in His grace. You've got to grow in sanctification so you can be strong in the Spirit and follow the promptings of the Spirit so you don't let sin have dominion over you. So you can be victorious over sin. It doesn't have to conquer you. It doesn't have to... Sin is not your master any longer. You're delivered from it. And you shall be delivered in the end. Hallelujah. So, I'm saying this, and I couldn't say it any better than one of my favorite authors, Tim Keller, a Presbyterian pastor, who said in his book, Walking with God Through Suffering, on page 121, and I quote, this is what he says, No, we do not know the reason God allows evil and suffering to continue or why it is so random. But now at least we know what the reason is not. It cannot be that He does not love us. And it cannot be that He does not care. He is so committed to our ultimate happiness that He is willing to plunge into the greatest depths of suffering Himself. He does understand us. He has been there. He assures us that He has a plan to eventually wipe away every tear. Someone might say, but that's only half an answer to the question. Why? Yes, but it is half the half that we need. You know what, church? Our future is bright. <laughs> I said our future is bright. I know it's hard. I know. You all know, I, you know about my life. Suffering and sin and questions. and It hurts. And I don't know if you ever really heal because it hurts so bad. You've got to change your perception. There are good days ahead. <laughs> your suffering can't even compare to the glory that you're about ready to see. Y'all think we have church down here? Y'all wait till we all get up there together. Wait till we get up there together. You know, I know, you know, I can, I, when I go preach these revivals and I love, you know, I just love people and I'm like, you know, I just wish I could be everybody's pastor. I wish everybody could just be together. Well, guess what? When we get to heaven, it's going to be a time, Jesus. Can I hear it? It's going to be a time. Can I hear it? It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful time being together because that's the work of God. He doesn't scatter us. He gathers us. And we're going to be gathered together one day in the presence of the Lord. Why does, why does bad things happen to good people? Well, you heard the sermon tonight. So I hope that you're encouraged by the Lord. Amen.
Can you give God praise and glory tonight?